welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. And Nikki, today we're going to talk about what we gained from the commendations Jesus gave to the seven churches and how that applies to finding a healthy church today. Yeah. It seems to be something that comes up often. So, But before we do, I just want to remind everyone that we would love it if you would give a review of the podcast wherever you listen. If you can do that, it extends our reach. And if you listen on YouTube, this podcast premieres every Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock Pacific time. So if you want to join the premiere every week, you can comment with other people on YouTube at the same time you're listening to it for the first time. And be sure that you subscribe subscribe and like. And if you like the podcast, we would appreciate it if you would go to proclamationmagazine.com and find the donate button. Now, just in case you don't know, if there's anybody new listening, Life Assurance Ministries is a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. So all of the donation money that you give is used directly for supporting this ministry and supporting the production of the podcast and our weekly magazine and the people that actually work with us to make this material possible. Before we start talking about what we've learned from these churches, what would you say, and looking back when you were a fresh former, did you have questions or concerns about finding a healthy church? No, I should have though. Yeah, that's me too. I knew that I wanted to go to a non-denominational church because I didn't know enough about the other denominations. And I knew a non-denominational church was going to just preach from the Bible. That was my perspective. That's what I understood. After I read Galatians and decided I was able to go to church on a Sunday, my husband said, well, go online and see if you can find a church that we can attend locally. I looked up a couple different local churches that I knew weren't a particular denomination, mm-hmm. and ended up choosing the one that Life Assurance Ministries was at, that you guys were at. I had no idea you guys were there. Wow. I didn't know when I chose the church. We just ended up there. And I really feel like God led us there. However, mm-hmm. I have to say, um, for a season, as I was a new believer, I had this idea that now that I was a part of the body of Christ, yeah, I could go anywhere. And it would be okay. Yes. And so there was a season of learning to discern. It's unfortunate, but there are phrases and there are words and there are focuses that you kind of need to learn so that you can navigate around things that are distracting from the pure gospel and the authority and sufficiency of scripture. And so that was kind of a journey. And there was a lot, a lot of learning along the way that took place. Yeah, I have to say it was the same for us. And I remember when you came out, and I remember coming alongside you a few times when some of those issues became big as you were discovering certain things about certain movements and churches. Mm -hmm. And just today we were talking about this, the three of us, before we came in here to record, and I know that the Lord directed us to where we actually were able to sit under Gary Enrig. The nature of Life Assurance Ministries is unique because our focus is primarily towards people who are in Adventism and have an Adventist worldview, although it is for everybody who wants to understand the gospel and who's been deceived by a works-type religion. But the fact is, we had a worldview that had to be unpacked, and we didn't know how thoroughly we saw the world through a skewed lens. Yeah, isn't it true that when you guys left, Richard said, well, at least we have the great controversy. (laughs) (laughs) At least we'll take that with us. (laughs) 
No, maybe not. So we had so much unlearning to do before we knew we had to do it. And the Lord put us where we were really taught faithfully, and not just taught faithfully, we were taught how to study the Bible. The Lord knows what we all need. And I tell this to people when they say, do you know of any good churches where I live? Well, the answer is almost always no. I don't really know where the good churches are in any given city apart from my own. What I do say, though, is the Lord knows the gospel has to be central and ask Him to direct you because He knows what you need in order to grow in truth and wisdom in Him. One of the things that we learned from Gary and that we've learned in our own walk in this ministry is that the answers are in the Word of God, always. And so just looking back over these seven churches that we've looked at in Revelation, we see God speaking to us in the Son about the things that He commends, the things that are important to Him about His church and how we live in this world. And the way we know that we can take these for us is that He ends every church's message with, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Yes. Plural. Yes. And we know that all scripture is useful for teaching and righteousness. Just by way of review, there are two churches that have no condemnations from the Lord Jesus, and they are Smyrna, the second one, and Philadelphia, the next to the last one. And then there are two churches that have no commendations. They were so bad that there was almost nothing about them that was left to be praised by the Lord Jesus. And those two were Sardis and Laodicea. So, Nikki, as we look back at these churches, what stands out to you in terms of what Jesus commended in the churches for which he could say something good? Well, he commended them for their deeds, their toil and perseverance, that they couldn't tolerate evil men that they would test professing apostles, and they accurately found them to be false, which means they handled the word of God correctly. That's right. He commended them because they persevere and endure for His glory. They did it for the name of Christ. They weren't doing it just for their own glory. Right. They didn't grow weary. They hated the deeds of false religion. They were rich, even during poverty and tribulation. They were content. In Christ. They held fast the name of Christ. They were unwilling to deny the faith, even in persecution. And while this wasn't said of Ephesus, sadly, it was said of others that they loved well. Yeah. They had faith. They, again, served their deeds. And their deeds were greater later than they were at first, some of them. Mm -hmm. They refused to deny the name of Christ. And I love this. They kept the words of Jesus's perseverance. They kept the gospel, the words, the testimony, the witness of Christ, the faithful and true. Yeah. Those things were common among those that he could commend. And of course, that leads me to the question, how does this apply to us who hear and read these letters today? And how does this apply specifically to people as they begin to wake up to the fact that Adventism isn't even part of the Christian church because it teaches a false gospel and it has a different Jesus? But when we start looking around and saying, where can I go to church to get the true gospel and to have actually a safe place to worship, what do we look for? As I was thinking through preparing for this podcast, I started jotting down characteristics of these commendable churches. 
I kept thinking about our walk through Hebrews that we did several years ago now, I guess. Yeah. One of the things that was true of the faithful that are there in the hall of faith, their focus was on the witness, the gospel that they were given at the time that God revealed himself to them. Their focus was on his promise to them. And that was what they lived for, forsaking everything around them. Mm-hmm. They lived for what he revealed. He was asking from them or going to do for them. And these churches did the same. They were willing to be persecuted. They didn't see these places, these local physical places as their final destination. Their no. mind was set on on Zion, on the Jerusalem above, on, yeah. on God's promises to them. So they had a Hebrews kind of faith. I think about churches today who don't. They right. want to pursue riches here. They want right. to pursue a kingdom here. They want to grow and build and collect here. And I would say that that is not a characteristic of these churches that Christ is commending. That's a really good point. These were tiny little churches in hostile territory. Sometimes the only church in the city, in cities that were filled with pagan temples and pagan gods. Mm-hmm. And here, we don't always even see ourselves in a place that we would consider pagan. We think of ourselves in North America in sort of a Christian environment, although probably less and less so. In other places in the world, sometimes it's clearly not a Christian environment, but the point is we aren't all suffering in the way these very early churches were. The point is not, do we have a great worship team? Do we have a great panel of pastors? Do we have a great children's program? The point is, are we faithful to the Lord Jesus and is the church faithful to the Lord? Are we upholding the word of God? And when you hear a message like, God wants you to be rich, does that line up with what he said in Laodicea, for example? Exactly. He told them, you think you're rich, but you're poor. They had all kinds of gold in Laodicea. So our goal here when we're looking for a church is not, are we finding a place where we get tidbits for better living and do we have a great worship band? Those things might be helpful, but what we really need is to look for a place that upholds the inerrant word of God, that upholds the gospel of the Lord Jesus as central, who embraces the Trinity and that teaches how we can be born again into new life in Christ. By preaching the word of God. One of the other characteristics of these churches that I think are important and that we don't see often enough in a healthy church is that they take church discipline and discipleship seriously. They don't tolerate false teaching. They don't tolerate false teachers. They test things against scripture, not against tradition. Yeah. And so that's an important part of a healthy church when you're looking for a new church home. Yeah, I was thinking about that too, Nikki, because in these churches that we looked at in Revelation, I'll never forget realizing that the church at Pergamum had a world-famous medical center that was a destination where people came to be healed and to feel better and to go away singing the praises of this medical institution. And I'm thinking, we're here, right by that medical center that's Loma Linda. The fact is, the gospel is not lifestyle. And lifestyle is not the right arm of the gospel. We have to know that as good as some kinds of lifestyle changes might be on a superficial level, they're not what really matter in a life. And we need a church that addresses our real need, our spiritual need. 
Yeah. And that takes us to the commendation that they do all of it for the glory of Christ, for the name of Christ. A healthy church is seeking to glorify Christ, not themselves. They're preaching in season and out of season, no matter its impact on their reputation. And they're not preoccupied with numbers and what they're doing in the world and the membership and the money. It's about the glory of Christ. Right. And they do not allow people to come in and teach if they haven't been vetted for orthodoxy. I think about the church that had a prophetess in its midst called Jezebel. There were believers in that church, but Jesus condemned the church for not having eradicated Jezebel long before she had such a following. He said he was going to visit her and her followers with sickness. That's another thing. If somebody creeps into a church and sets up a private set of classes, or even not a private set of classes, but it's not orthodox, that's a problem. We need to look for a church that upholds the Word of God and protects the sheep from false teaching. I'll never forget early in FAF's history, very early, we had somebody in our group who knew a returned prophet from South Africa. And this prophet was invited to speak at our FAF meeting. And Richard and I felt very uncomfortable, but we were so new, we didn't know a whole lot about what to look for. But this person was advocating a second baptism for a second blessing. And we, brand new to the church where we were going, went and visited with Gary Inrig and told him what had happened and asked him if he would please come to our next meeting. And he said he would. We know now that he was very busy, and Gary didn't often go out and do extra jobs on the spur of the moment on a Friday night. But he came to our meeting the next week, and he listened to this man start to teach, and Gary stopped him. And he said, what version of the Bible are you using? And the man looked at Gary and said, are you here to cause trouble? And I'll never forget Gary's response. He was angry, but he was very controlled. And he said, I am here to protect my sheep. And the man said, well, they aren't even all members of your church. And Gary said, no, but they are meeting in my church. And I know what version of the Bible you're using. And that is not what the context of that verse is. And he told him where he was misinterpreting the Bible, misteaching it. And he said, you may not teach that here. (laughs) And when he was done, Gary got up and walked out. That ended that. And there's a whole story about what happened after that, but we never had a false prophet come in and do that again and try to teach a second blessing. And I will never forget how Gary came in and protected the sheep. And that's what I think of when I think of the church Mm -hmm. with the false prophetess. Someone needs to be taking care of the sheep and noticing what's going on and not allowing just anyone to say just anything in the church to people. Yeah. You deal with that and you don't even have to worry about your church starting to tolerate things because they're not being exposed to all those things. That's right. So strong shepherds, strong pastors who know the word of That's God. The key. There are some people who will have a, maybe the gift of evangelism or maybe not. Maybe they just want to be leaders and they will go out and they will start churches. And I would want to caution, especially a new former Adventist, from going to a church and sitting under a lead teacher who does not know scripture, 
who has not been trained and taught in the Word of God. I agree. Because it really is important. We believe that the Word of God is in Aaron in its original language. Yeah. We came out of a culture that twisted those words, yeah. used those very words in various translations and twisted them to say different things. We need someone who is going to honor the original words. That's right. When they teach. And and that's part of healthy apologetics. Using the word correctly, handling it rightly and carefully and preventing syncretism. And along with the apologetics, I want to say this, understanding how to study the Bible is a really key thing. And in a healthy church, you will hear a very consistent approach to the Word of God. You will hear a consistent approach to exegesis, to the way the pastor uses the Word, to the way he applies the Word and interprets the Word. It will be clear, and he will talk about how he does it and why he does it. And for us, Nikki, this is kind of something we harp on because of what we came out of and what we've learned over the years from listening to Pastor Gary. Mm -hmm. We use the most normal reading of the Word. It's called the historical grammatical hermeneutic. We know that not all Christians use exactly the same hermeneutic, and that doesn't separate us. But for us here, as we do this podcast and as we talk back into Adventism, we find that this is the most consistent way to read Scripture. And understanding that we can read the Bible and the words mean what the words say, the context informs us of the meaning of the passage, and grammar is important. That is such an easy way to read the Bible compared to what we came out of, and it corrects so much of the bad worldview that we had. And that's what has been so refreshing as we've sat under Gary's teaching for several years. We hear him approaching books from all parts of the Bible in the same way, and it makes sense, and we start to discover the Bible holds together. It's not just random books pieced together under one leather binding. They are a consistent narrative, a consistent account. The stories fit together. So connected with this, when we look at these commendations to the churches, Christ told Ephesus that they did a wonderful job with handling the Word and with church discipline and all of that. But they didn't get commended for their love. That was their condemnation. So a healthy church is going to do that, and it's going to love well. And honestly, it should be synonymous. It should be the natural outpouring of handling the word well, because when we study the epistles in particular, we learn all kinds of information about what it looks like to love well. And that does include truth-telling and yeah. holding each other accountable. And it looks different from what I knew as an Adventist. Oh, we love by just, you know, we're not going to bring that up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but we are called to love according to the definitions of Scripture. That is something that we're to do to love one another and to love God. And along with loving along with discipling one another, admonishing, praying for one another, being there when one another are in trouble, for example, or just struggling, or having trouble understanding the Word, knowing what to do and how to guide people back to the Word. Along with that comes the idea of service. Mm -hmm. Service is not just a social gospel where we offer 
which is not a bad thing, but where we offer, for example, a feeding program in the community every week. Now, that may be a really wonderful ministry of a church, but that's not the only method of service. Service, according to the spiritual gifts and the descriptions of them in the New Testament, begins with the members. It begins inside the body of Christ. We serve one another, and then we can band together and serve the community. Yeah, a beautiful model of that is in Acts. You know, That's as right. the church was growing, no one had a need. They were all taking care of each other. It's an amazing thing, actually. I know I can remember looking at Acts, Acts 4, back in the very early days of coming out of Adventism and thinking, wow, who does this? <laughs> Did they live as a commune? Well, no, but they actually were so connected through being baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit that part of their service for each other and their love for each other was if anyone had a need, everyone else would fill it. And if you think about that time, this one-time unrepeatable event in Jerusalem during Pentecost, all of these people are here together in this huge miraculous moment happens where they're hearing Peter and the believers preaching in all the different tongues that were present that day yeah. and lives are being changed. How many people were baptized? 3,000. That is a historical moment yeah. that surely brought them together in a very unique and beautiful way. And I think that's a picture of the church and a picture of what God does when he causes us to be born again and brings us into the fold in one day we will experience another yes. <laughs> one-time unrepeatable event and we'll come together as family. That's so wonderful, Nikki. It's such a great way to think of it. From one unrepeatable event to another one-time unrepeatable event. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. And it is interesting, too, that the church is so different from Israel. Israel was a nation through whom God revealed himself to the world. The church is not a nation the church is individuals brought into Christ, scattered in the nations, bringing the presence of the Lord into the nations. It's like the inside-out manifestation of the people of God that's the, kind of the opposite of Israel. We have a specific calling, a specific job to do. Kind of takes you back to Daniel, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing here is that these churches refuse to deny the name of Christ, no matter the pressure. That can look like all kinds of different things in the world we're in right now. But one of them that I couldn't help but think of is that there are churches who keep the main thing, the main thing in such a wonderful way. The gospel, the word of God, scripture is supreme. Yeah. It's supreme. And there are other churches, unfortunately, that they take detours and they can go down different roads, roads that lead to legalism or prosperity or a hyper-focus on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I just have to say about that, you can't separate the Trinity. That's right. These churches that the Lord is commending, they're focusing on Christ, His name, His gospel, His witness. Because the way the Lord has set up the gospel is this. We experience in an intimate way the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit as a consequence of trusting and believing in Jesus' finished atonement. That's the way God set up the gospel. Mm -hmm. He draws us. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. 
the father begins drawing us. And you know, Nikki, it was kind of fun. Before we recorded today, we were talking with Richard and we all were recalling, the three of us were recalling ways as kids Mm -hmm. that we can look back and we can see in retrospect, the Lord was calling us and letting us know that we were his. Mm -hmm. But it took a while to see the full reality of the gospel. But Mm -hmm. in backwards glances... He was calling us from a very early age. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And the Father draws us to the Lord Jesus and teaches us that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that we are to trust him. And when we do, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we're sealed with the indwelling Holy Spirit. You can't separate the Trinity, as you said. Mm -hmm. But there's a biblical way to experience what God has for us. We don't bypass Jesus to try to get the Spirit. Right. And so often it seems like people who are seeking primarily a Spirit church is how I'll hear them talk about it. They're looking for ways to manifest Mm -hmm. the supernatural. And we don't see that modeled in the church. And we don't see Jesus speaking about that to any of these seven churches. No. It's not a pattern. And that takes us back to our hermeneutic. Whenever you hear about this new thing, well, okay, when you look in scripture, do you see a pattern of that in scripture? Are you looking at a one-time unrepeatable event and trying to duplicate it? Or do you see a pattern that we're taught how to navigate in the word of God? That's a very important point. So in summary, we can review that the three, probably the three main things that you need to have in order to know that you have a church that's a true church and not a false church like we had in Adventism, but a true church will always honor the inerrant Word of God and preach directly from it. It will honor the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are eternal and who are all involved equally. He is the cause, the director, the end, the beginning of our salvation. And the gospel will always be central, always the finished work of Christ and our need to be rescued from ourselves. Those three things mark a true church. So there are other things that are important. And as we go on, we'll talk about some of them, but they're not all things that would break fellowship. Christians disagree about some things that seem very important and actually are very important, but things such as baptism and the millennium and the timing of the rapture, those things are important to discuss, but they're in-house discussions. And if people have truly trusted Christ, true Christians can differ on those issues without losing fellowship. The things that are necessary for fellowship are the finished work of Jesus, the Word of God, and the triune God, who's over all. So, as we end, it's important to remember that when Jesus wrote to these churches, he was acting in the role that the New Testament reveals he has. He is the head of the church. Paul makes that very clear in Ephesians. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We are his body. We are his bride. And he will protect us and purify us and lead us to eternal glory with himself. He will even correct us if need be. Just look at those seven churches. He came to John and delivered letters to those churches that corrected the sin into which some of them were falling, that were putting the whole corporate body in danger. So his word is a sure thing. 
it never fails. It is for us, and the Lord Jesus directs us to truth. As individuals, we're to trust Him. We're to pray for one another. We are to be loyal to Jesus and guard the gospel in our lives and encourage one another. And ultimately, as individual members of the body of Christ, we know that we can trust that Jesus is in charge of us. And I just have to end with this amazing quote from Ephesians 3, which gives the most astonishing insight into the role of the church today, which is really very different from the Old Testament Israel. This is from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And if you haven't experienced the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit through faith in the finished work of Christ, if you haven't confessed your helpless depravity and your need of a Savior, knowing that Jesus has died for your sins, paid the full price, He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to Scripture, This is the time for you to do that. You too can know the protective, never-ending presence of the Lord Jesus, who is the head of the church, the adoption and the care of God the Father, and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who make your eternal life real to you, beginning the moment you believe. Join us next week as we have a brief discussion on the different views of how to approach the prophetic portion of the book of Revelation, and we'll give a case for the view that we'll be taking as we move forward. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Former Adventist Podcast. You may email us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Former Adventist Podcast is a ministry of Life Assurance Ministries. For more information, weekly articles, videos, and a donation link, go to our website at proclamationmagazine.com.